Well, hey there, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to LifeHouse. So good to see everybody out here in the room. So good to see you guys online. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ryan, and I'm on staff here at the church. And uh, it was, hey, it's Daylight Savings uh, day, right? The, the good one, the bad ones in the spring. This is the good one. We get that extra hour. So um, I, I don't know what you guys did with your extra hour. Hopefully you used it to your advantage. It's the one day of the year we get an extra hour. Um, but if you didn't, I have, it's your lucky day, I have some suggestions that you might be able to take next year. Okay, so this isn't going to help you today. It's going to help you 365 days from now. So take some notes, okay, because I was scrolling on my phone and I found this, uh, this clickbait article, you know, and I clicked, and uh, boom, there was a list. This list uh, was the 23 things to do with your extra daylight savings hour. I won't read all 23, because we'll be here a long time, but I picked the 10 best things off this list. I'm gonna read them to you, okay? So here we go, best things to do with your extra daylight savings hour. Oh, and they want you to do as many as you can at 2 a.m. When the, when the time actually switches, okay? So that, that makes it interesting. Number one was bake a cake. Yep, I'll get right on that. I'll bake a cake at two in the morning, okay? Second one was do a load of laundry. Thank you for that suggestion. And, and I'm gonna quote the article. It says, all over the world, there are pockets of people that consider unattended and dirty clothes to be a sign of bad things to come. So you shouldn't go into a new season with unfinished laundry. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, but I'm screwed on that one. Um, okay, so ne next one was do some chores. Anybody wanna do some chores at 2 a.m.? So I quote, in addition to setting your clocks, a few other chores that you should complete in the extra hour. Okay, you ready? Change the batteries in your smoke detectors, change your air conditioning vent filters, reverse the direction of your ceiling fans, flip or rotate your mattresses, check your pantry, fridge, and medicine cabinets for expired products. We'll get right on that, won't we? That'll be great. Okay, the next one was cook breakfast. Now, I actually can get behind that one. Anybody else made eggs at 2 a.m.? I mean, there's never a better time to eat eggs than 2 a.m., so I could do that one. Uh, the next one was go for a 60-minute timed run, okay? I'm gonna quote again, a super late night run can be one of the most enjoyable exercise experiences there is. This is what the article said. Start at 2 a.m. and don't come back until it's 2 a.m. again. Now, I might enjoy that, but I know for 99% of us, that'd be like torture for, for us all. So the worst thing in the world. Um, the next item on the list was, was the thing that's, the only thing that's worse than running outside for 60 minutes at 2 a.m., and that is to get on the treadmill for an hour. So anybody want to get on the treadmill, you know, be my guest. Okay, the next one on the list was celebrate the change in daylight savings in a traditional manner by visiting the National Watch and Clock Museum in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Anybody have a family tradition of that? Nope, didn't think so. Didn't think so. Um, but hey, if you're watching from Columbia, Pennsylvania, listen, no offense, we love you. I'm sure, that's, I'm sure it's a great place. I would love to visit someday. Okay, next thing on the list, number eight. This is, uh, it says, what you can do with your extra hours, drive to Phoenix. Okay, now that's actually something I can get behind too, right? I guess, I guess I just learned this. They don't have daylight savings there. It's just the same all year. So we could all drive to Phoenix after I make some eggs. Uh, ninth, says watch the clock change. There are very few things more satisfying than watching your phone as daylight saving counts down. I can think of a few things that are more satisfying than that. I don't know about you. Uh, and the last item, this was actually the number one item on the list, okay? So you'd think this would be really good. This is actually what it says. It says, harvest crops. There you go. Number one thing, go harvest some crops. So, uh, you know, where do we go from here today? I don't know. Thanks for coming to church. Thank you. Have a good day. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't leave, okay? 
So that, that's, your, that's your tip of the day. Um, I hope you don't leave, because we do have a, a really great service for you. We've got an hour. If you haven't spent your hour, extra hour doing anything, uh, you can consider this your hour, and we hope it's well spent. Um, we've got a, a few great songs from the band. Our lead pastor, Matt Brown, is continuing our message series called Anything But Average, and uh, we will be out of here in about an hour or so. Um, but, but one of the things that we, we believe around here is that we can find life in Jesus no matter what kind of darkness we're going through. And so I want to invite you guys to stand up, and we're going to start with this song that talks about finding life in God, and Victoria is going to lead us. So let's sing together.
You know, we believe that there's nothing that our God can't do, including things like work in our lives and run and chase us down when we're far, far away from him. And uh, if you feel like today that you're too far from God, that what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought um, makes you undesirable to God, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus said this to some of his closest friends. He said, so he told him this parable. What man, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that never wandered off. God's a big God that loves each of us more than we can imagine. We wanna sing about that wonderful love that God has for us. You were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me For I took a breath You breathed your life in me You've been so, so kind to me
God loves you. You know, God loves us. It's such a simple, you know, but profound truth. It's something that we get to share in here, in this room, and all over the building. You know, our kids and our students, smallest of kids, are learning that God loves them. And they're taking that out of these walls and out into the community, into their schools. Um, I had the chance to be around a group of, of high school guys last week, um, most of whom didn't go to Lifehouse, right? There was one guy that did, though. And just in casual conversation, this, this dude started talking about some things he was learning here at Lifehouse, at church. He was talking about how God loves us and how we can talk to God, how to pray to him. I mean, this is a casual conversation with high school guys. And it, it generated this conversation. Soon everybody started talking. And we're having faith conversations with a bunch of guys. I don't know where they stand in their faith. But it's things like that that show that God is working in our midst. He's working through us. He's working through you to see people come to know him, to see young guys and young girls that are passionate about him, that share their faith with their classmates, with their friends. It's so awesome. I'm so proud to be a part of a church that does that. And you guys know this. Um, we don't have the opportunity to do those types of things without you all, without you pitching in and getting on board and saying, yeah, this is something that we want to dedicate ourselves to. We want to give our lives to it. We want to give our resources to it. We're going to give our time to it. We get to see great things happen now and, and in years to come. Because you guys know this, if, if, if we were at the point where we had to be asking questions like, how are we going to pay our electricity bill? How are we going to cover this cost? Uh, it would take us away from some real questions that we love to be asking, which is how can we empower the next generation to reach people for Jesus. Questions like that is what we get to spend our time doing, and that is because of you and your generosity. So thanks for being on mission. Thanks for being a partner in that. Um, you can continue to give and to support this thing together. You can, you can give uh, here in the building. There are boxes out there. You can just drop something in there. You can give online. Um, no matter where you're at, you can get your phones out. You can text give now to 21,000. If you just text give now to 21,000, it'll be an easy, secure way for you to give and support the mission. And if you're new here today, if you're joining us for the first or second time, listen, just know that we're not asking you to give today. We're just glad that you're here and we hope that you come back next week. Uh, but for those of you that call Lifehouse home, thank you so much for who you are, for what you do, for the way that you support this great, great thing. Uh, we love you guys. We're going to continue on with the rest of our service now. Uh, like I said, Matt Brown is going to come up and continue our message series, Anything But Average.
I'm not sure. Are they implying that a salad is actually better than a hamburger in that video? Because I did not approve that part of that video in any way, shape, or form. Hey, my name is Matt Brown. I'm the lead pastor here. We're glad to have you in the room. And those of you online, we are in part two of this series, um, Anything But Average. And I would just tell you, we're trying to figure out how not to be average. And after the last couple weeks, I just want to say this again. Um, as a church, you guys are anything but average. You're way above average people. But you know this. We don't want to be average in anything, right? We don't want to be the average father or mother or spouse. I don't want to be the average boss or neighbor. When we were in high school or college, we didn't want to be the average athlete. We wanted to be above average people, and we still do. And that's what we're trying to figure out in this series. Now, last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, we'd love for you to go back and watch the message series from last week. Um, we talked about the average American and how the average American spends 103% of their income on themselves, isn't a great spouse, all these great but really dreary statistics. Today, I thought I would talk about the average Ohioan. See, I moved to Ohio in 1995. I grew up in Illinois, but I've been in Ohio longer than any place in my life, and I just wanted to point out the average Ohioan. So help me out with some answers to these questions. Would you please um, just shout them out, whether you're online, in the car, or in the room. Um, the average Ohioan calls carbonated sugar water what? Yeah, pop, right? I just need you to know that is wrong. It's called soda. I need to get this straight. It's not pop, it's soda, but I'll give you that one. How about this? This is maybe my favorite. The average Ohioan calls a mix of peanut butter and chocolate what? Oh, can we, can we just take a moment? Oh my goodness. Can we just take a moment and acknowledge this is maybe the best thing that ever came out of Ohio, a little peanut butter and chocolate ball that I can eat all day long where I grew up that was called a Reese's cup. This is way better. So I just want to shout out to all of us for that. I love the Ohio state Buckeyes. I love the peanut butter and chocolate Buckeye way, way more. Just so you know, how about this one? The average Ohioan eats what at the fair? Shout it out what we eat at the fair. Yeah, you're all wrong. We weigh too much at the fair. That, that's what we eat, way too much. Elephant ears, um, deep fried Oreos and butter and everything else. We eat way too much. Um, this has nothing to do with anything. Can I just make a plea that we never eat anything with pumpkin in it ever again? I know it's Thanksgiving. I hate pump, pumpkin spice lattes. What a waste of a good cup of coffee. That's just a personal thing. Don't hold that against me. Um, the average Ohioan, there's a lot of these sayings, but here's what we know is, Extraordinary as it is to be from this part of the world, we're average like everybody else in America in the amount of debt we all carry and the amount of the broken relationships that we all have to deal with, how much time we do or don't spend with our children, the fact that a lot of us hate our bosses or we're bosses that are hated and as most people in America, like most people in the world, we're not the most generous people on the planet and we're just trying to figure out how can we be anything but average, and we don't want to be average, but the challenge with average is averages are, is an indicator of what's most true about most of us. So if all things, of those things are true about the average American, the average Ohioan, it means they're probably somewhat true about you and me. And we don't want to be average people. We don't want to be an average church or have an average family. When somebody asks Tina about me as her husband, I don't want to say, yeah, Matt's just an average husband. I want her to say, he's incredibly, incredibly, well, I want her to say he's incredibly sexy. She doesn't say that, but that's what I want her to say. But I want her to say he's above average. And so when you come across a person that's above average, here's the, here's the 
thing that comes to mind is what do anything but average people know? And you know some people when it comes to the family they have or the way they use their money or the way they love. You go, they're above average people. What do they know that I don't know? We're trying to figure that out. But, but maybe the bitter, bigger, better question is what do they do? How do they practice their lives? What are the disciplines that they exhibit? How do they behave? Now, here's what's fascinating about this. Last week, we jumped into Jesus' teaching on the side of a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about how to live a life that's different than just what normal human beings live as we follow him. In fact, he talked about a road that we're called to. It's a great illustration. There's a wide, wide road that we're not called to. And it's a road that everyone goes down. It's the easiest road, but does not lead to life. It leads to disappointment. But there's this narrow road that we're called to follow Jesus down. And it's a little more difficult. And it takes a little bit more initiative and discipline. And you got to keep your eyes focused on what's most important. But at the end of the road and along the way, there is life. And I read you one of my favorite quotes last week from Robert Frost. You've heard this. The two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I didn't have time to tell you this story, but when my kids were, you know, middle school, elementary age school, we'd take them to Colorado, then we took them to Montana on different trips into Wyoming, and we loved to hike because you can hike for free, and so we'd make our kids hike, and there was always that easy road you took. Like when we went to Yellowstone, the easy path was just walk up to Old Faithful, watch it, and go home, but we made our kids go way up in the mountains, and as my kids would be whining, like, Dad, we had to walk another mile, and it's, you know, we're hungry, we're tired. I would quote this, guys. There's two roads in the woods, and we're taking the one less traveled. It's going to make all the difference. It's one of the few things I did well as a father because our kids will still talk about those trips that where everyone else went, the well-traveled road was great. It was fine, but there was nothing new to see on it. But when you get off what's normal and you chase after what's incredible and extraordinary, we get to experience amazing things. Now, here's the challenge with this teaching that Jesus brings from 2,000 years ago that Matthew, his friend, he writes down in documents. It's not easy teaching. In fact, what we're going to talk about today may be really disturbing. It may bother you. You may leave angry at Jesus. Just know that I did not come up with this. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Because this is what we find when it comes to anything but average. Those kind of people exceed others' expectations. This is what is eternal. And last week, if you missed it, Jesus talked about turning the other cheek when someone does something hurtful to you or giving them the shirt and coat off your back when they ask you for something that you're just willing to give it away, that we're willing to go the extra mile for people even if we don't think they deserve it. And it changes our lives and it changes the world around us and exceeding other people's expectations lead to relationships that are anything but average, can I ask you a question this morning? Do you want above average relationships in your life? Even if you've never had a great relationship in your life, do you want above average relationships in the future? Well, the way we accomplish that, Jesus says, is to exceed their expectation. And you want that, and I want that. And I know that my spouse wants that. And I want that from her. So last week, we talked through Matthew chapter 5. This week, we're going to lean into Matthew chapter 6. If you want to read along, you know, this week at home as you kind of spend your own quiet time with God. And it's so appealing. The challenge is we got to say no to some stuff to follow this path. And one of the things we have to say no to is instant gratification. And I want to show you the instant gratification 
curve. And you know what instant gratification is. It's this idea that I want what I want now and I don't want to wait. That whatever I want with my desires, my appetites, what I hunger for, I want it right now. And so if we look at the curve, it involves two things. It's satisfying my desires, and and, and that might be this. Listen, I want a new car now, so I'm going to go into big debt to get a car. I want you know, to have a new house that I can't afford, so I'm going to take way too much mortgage on in my life. That's the financial side. In our relationships, I might, I want, might want to be loved in this moment, so I'm going to do whatever I can to find some kind of love and acceptance, even if it's in healthy directions along the way. And it leads to personal problems. And here's how the instant gratification curve works. That the more that I satisfy my desires instantly the more personal problems occur in my life. And we have all seen this. And here's what's fascinating about this. When this starts, and I just start saying to yes, everything I want right now, like yes, 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 and I don't think about the consequences, the curve starts really slow. But as it continues on, what happens is my personal problems start to go through the roof. And you know people that have done this. You've talked to people that have been in situations where you're like, listen, if you go down this road, your life's going to blow up. And you're just saying yes to everything, trying to satisfy whatever's in your life. And they can't see it. And then one day they wake up and their life is blown apart. And Jesus comes along and says, there's a better road than that. But it's going to involve thinking about later, not just right now. We've said this for years as a church, that later is almost always greater when we say no to ourselves. Because average, we don't want to be average, is being consumed with now and having little regard for later. And Jesus, he wanted more for us than that. And here's where the whole thing of, you know, God asking us to sacrifice and obey, it gets really confusing for some of us because it feels like what God is saying to us is just say no to everything and don't enjoy anything. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I want you to have the best life along the way. And so in light of all that, here's what Jesus says, standing on the side of a hill, as Matthew documents and he records it, one of his closest friends. Jesus says, do not, do not store up for yourselves on earth, which is like right now, what I get right now, on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now see, we don't really worry in the world we're in about vermin and moths, but we do worry about what's most temporary. I mean, and you know this. I see something, something catches my eye, and I'm just like, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want her. I want him. I want that thing. And Jesus says, yeah, that's all about now. And those things are going to fade away. And I'm always attracted to shinier and newer and sexier and younger. But those are temporary things. And Jesus is pleading with us to invest and put our hearts towards what is eternal. He goes on. He says, "But, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I love this. Things that last. Not stuff you just get when you get to heaven, but things that go from this world and carries on into the next Where moths and vermin, they don't destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. These are eternal things. These are better things. How do we think about what lasts forever? I faced this um, about two weeks ago. I'm going to tell you a story that I make myself out to be the hero, but I'm really not the hero, so let me get through it before you judge me about my own storytelling, because you know this. Pastors love to make themselves the heroes in their own stories. I do that way too much. Um, A couple weeks ago, I was down in Atlanta with a bunch of other pastors from our network of churches, 
And on Wednesday night, I had made plans to go up to Cummings, Georgia to um, hang out with my son and his wife, Desiree. Um, They've been married a little over a year and a half. They live down there. I don't get to see them as much as I, I want to see them. So I was so excited to spend the afternoon and evening with them and see what they do at the church they're working at, right? And then I found out this. That evening, the group of pastors that we were with, they'd set us up to go to the Porsche racetrack experience where literally you show up and they put you in a race car, a Porsche race car with a professional driver. I know it's really hard to be a pastor in these days and this is part we're in, right? And then you get a ride in a Porsche around the track, go as fast as you can with a professional driver and it's a time of your life and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have this choice, right? I can either go with, with my son and my daughter-in-law and see what they're doing and spend time with them and I love my kids or I get a ride in a Porsche with a professional race car driver. And that was my choice. And get fed and be in a simulator. And I mean, uh, it, it was so appealing. And you just need to know, I, I, I decided to spend time with my son and my daughter-in-law. But before you think that I'm better than I actually am, I spent all morning thinking how I could tell a lie to my son why I couldn't make it up there. I literally was like, I, I, if I just say this, I just get out of this, I just get, and it, and it occurred to me, okay, I know what I want to do, and I know what I should do. I, I know I want to be in that car where the, the brakes are glowing red, they slam around the corners, you know, top out of what, 140 miles an hour down the street, all that stuff, I want to do that, but I don't get to see my son and my daughter-in-law very much. And so I went up there and I, instead of riding in a Porsche, I got to hang out with a bunch of high school kids that my son's working with. And I'm throwing a football with my 24-year-old son like we did when he was younger with all these other kids. And I just thought, I just thought, I really wish I was in that Porsche right now. No, I I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that. I did say that, but I thought, there's no place in the world I'd rather be than right here with my boy. Who, who's not a boy anymore. And this will last way longer than an experience, and I'll get to do that again some other time. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, where, where your treasure is, you wanna know where your heart is? Look at your treasure. Where your time and your money go, that's where your heart is. And some of you would say, listen, man, I, I can't tell where my treasure is because my money, you know, it goes to the bank, it goes to pay my debtors, it goes to pay my credit card. And the reason you feel that way is because somewhere along the line you decided, and I, I understand this, and there's a way to work your way out of this, so hang with me. You decided I'm just going to gratify my instant desires right now, and I'm going to put stuff on credit cards and debt and be a slave to whoever I borrow money from. And Jesus says, yeah, that's an indicator where your heart is. Now step out and figure out how you can lean into what's more important than just instant gratification. Jesus goes on, and this is a challenging teaching. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And this idea of your eyes being healthy is that your eyes are clear and you're able to be generous with what's most important to you and have character and have integrity. I got to watch Colin Powell's a little bit of his funeral um, this week, and it was really a little bit overwhelming to watch this man who has his body of work that's respected by so many people. And I watched his kids talk about him and who he was as a dad. And the uh, announcer, the broadcaster, commentator said, yeah, there's two things people are gonna say about you. They're gonna talk about your resume, and then they're gonna talk about your eulogy, and your resume are all the things you accomplished. And we all get to accomplish some stuff. What, what, what you made, 
what you led, who respect, all those things, but your eulogy is who you were and who you are and how your kids felt about you and your friends felt about you and your character in difficult situations. Resumes are great, but that is really all stuff that rusts and things that moss eat up, but your character and who you are, the people that love you, but that is stuff that lasts forever. And Jesus goes on, he says, but if your eyes are unhealthy or clouded or blurred, you can't see what matters most. Your whole body will be full of darkness. And this is the heads up. Jesus says, now listen, listen. No one, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. Either you hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve what I want now and what I want later at the same time. You can't. Because one will be all about me and the other will be about a bigger picture, a better picture, something that's precious and lasts. And Jesus says, this is challenging. You can't serve both God and money because both of them will be your God and you gotta decide what God you're gonna actually follow. The stuff or things that are eternal, the kingdom of heaven and relationships and what God is doing this earth or just more shinier, newer stuff that I get to drive, live in, hang out on, Drink, eat, things that just don't last. There's two masters and you can't serve both. And here's what we find out, that anything but average people live for later. They live for what's a bigger picture. And so for us to kind of hone in on this, because really the goal for us being here, even if you're not a person of faith, maybe you wandered in and you're trying to figure out if you're going to believe in God, to those of us that have been doing this for a long time, we're, we're here because we want to change, Right? You're, you're online watching today because we want to figure out what could change in me to be on a better life and a better path. And for us that believe in Jesus, to follow who he is. So I just want to ask you three simple questions. And the questions revolve around where is your treasure? Because it's not too hard to figure out where our treasure is. And there's two easy measuring sticks to where our treasure is. The first, it's simple. Want to know where your treasure is? Look at your checkbook. And this is not even a giving plea to give to our church. Just know that. I'll, I'll ask that. I will talk about that. But that's not, that's not what this is. If you want to know where your treasure is, just look where your money goes. And checkbook feels a little outdated. Like look at your Venmo or look at your credit card or whatever you use. Just look where your money goes and you'll know where your treasure goes. And if all of your money goes to you, you're the only treasure you have. That means your life is only about you and that's not big enough to live for. I mean, come on, we're Americans and we on the average spend 103% of our income when we put ourselves farther into debt. And as a Christian, you know this, like the minimum is that we're gonna give 10% of our lives away and our money away. And that's just like the minimum. That's until God really gets our hearts and does something with us. But in that, we gotta figure out, you know, okay, I'm looking where my treasure is and I wanna live for something more than that. And the thing about our money, it's definable, it's tangible. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. I can tell where my life is going by where my money goes. And the other part of this is not just my money, the other part is look where you spend your time. Because your time is more valuable than your money. You will run out of time before you run out of money. Everybody does. And parents of young kids, I'm just telling you, you hear me say this probably way too much. You decide you're gonna spend all your time with your kids just doing one more activity, one more sport, I'm all for sports, my kids did that. One more club, one more whatever rehearsal. 
and you don't put them in environments that are gonna affect their hearts forever, we are missing the boat. Where are we spending our time? Dads, if we neglect our kids to spend more leisure time just for ourselves, we will miss the best days of our kids' lives. And listen to a dad that his kids have grown up and one lives in you know, Atlanta and two live in Denver and one's still in my basement, but that's great. Okay, that, that's fine. You'll never get those days back. So you gotta measure where am I spending my time? So that's a great question. Where's my treasure? And here's the second question. What is our focus? What is our focus? What are you paying attention to? What are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? And I I think God has called us to, to dream about extraordinary things. But if all we dream about is the next thing that's gonna rust and moss are gonna eat up and it's gonna be gone at the end of our lives, our dreams are too small and they're too selfish. And our heavenly father's called us to better. Here's another great question to know where treasure is. Who, who are you serving? I, I love Mondays because I watch Rob and Sally and a plethora of other people wander into our building on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays And they show up and they don't get paid. They just volunteer and they work throughout the week. This morning I was walking through the lobby of our church and I watched all these amazing volunteers that decided to get up early. And they'll get up early when um, daylight savings time goes the other direction and it's an hour earlier in the spring. And they're here because they've decided they want to give their lives to something bigger than themselves. And they want to be part of life change Last um, Sunday after church, um, I got invited to sit down with our student ministry team, high school kids. They're trying to figure out how to push the ball down the field um, in our student ministry. And so I went over and I met them for lunch at the Mexican restaurant. And I sat down and I looked around this table with these extraordinary high school kids. They're high school kids. And they're dreaming about how to reach their friends that they would know that God loves them. And they're dreaming and they're sharing these ideas. And I'm like, that's going to cost too much. And that's going to cost too much. But dream. Because you're learning to serve something bigger than yourself. So let me ask you, who, who are you serving? If you're a church person, and I just say, you are never done serving. One of the things that drives me crazy is people that are my age will say this. Come on. Come on, I'm going to step all over your toes right now. Ready? I've done my part. I've done my share. Come on. We were put on this planet to be part of something bigger and better than just ourselves. I've been thinking about this idea. I didn't, wasn't planning on talking about this, but I've been thinking about this idea to make it a priority that everybody over 50 years old that's able works with kids and students in our church. I'm 51. I got time. My kids are grown. I have some margin to share. What if we decided we're going to serve, we're going to give our lives to something better than just holding it on to ourselves? I mean, you know, just going to be nervous and I can hang on to my time. And what if I don't get to do what I want to do? Jesus would say, that is not where your treasure should be. Because he says this, but if you store, but if you store for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in, and steal, it'll last forever. And if you're not a Christian, you gotta decide what you do with this. But if you are, we need to recognize that this world is not our home. I mean, I love the fact that we get to wake up every day and live on this planet. But we have so much eternity ahead of us. And when we realize what God has given us, we can give it away now, because it'll still be there in the future. And here's the amazing thing. When you think about 
Like what we get to choose. We get to choose beauty and heaven and love and relationships over anything else. And it's always a good choice. So here's the question that Jesus is leading us to. Three questions, actually. Where's your treasure? What is your focus? And who are you serving? Now, let me ask you a question, just to get this real personal for all of us, because I've had to live with this for a couple weeks. I'm trying to process this myself. If you're married right now, and marriage is hard, and it's particularly hard right now, husbands, can I ask you a question? When you go home today, on Wednesday, on Friday, next week, two weeks from now, what would it look like if you looked at your wife and you said, I'm gonna make sure you know you're my treasure. I mean, Jesus is my ultimate treasure, but he has given me to you and you to me, so I'm gonna make sure you know you're a treasure to me. And whatever I have to do to help you understand that that's what I'm gonna do. Be a powerful statement to your wife. And wives, what if you did the very same thing for your husbands? I want you to know that I treasure you. I'm not gonna nitpick, I'm not gonna nag. I just want you to know I treasure. What, how would that change the face of your marriage right now or your dating relationship? What if you said, you're my focus? What, how am I gonna serve you? I mean, it literally means we have to do some stuff we don't wanna do, but what would that do for our marriages? What would it do for our children if you looked at your daughters? Oh my gosh, dads. When our daughters and our sons, but I got a young daughter that's still in my house somewhat, and I think about what she needs from me as a dad and what she needs from her mom, and she, she would just hear me say, Megan, do you know that you're a treasure to me? Do not ever let any man or woman or anyone else treat you anything but a treasure. Imagine the trajectory that would change. Or our sons, moms, and dads, I don't care if you throw a football far. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you accomplish. I just want you to know you're a treasure to me. I'm focusing on you, and I want to serve you. And for me, that's hard because I like to be served. I don't necessarily want to serve. Young people, I know we got some high school kids in here, some middle school or younger I know your parents drive you insane and they dress weird. I know that. I mean, where do they get those socks, right? I understand that. But young people, what would it look like for you to exceed your parents' expectations? And I, don't, I know you don't understand why they do everything they do and they make the decisions they make, but what would it look like for you to say, Dad, Mom, I just, I, I'm gonna serve you you'd have to pick them up off the floor and resuscitate them. That's what would happen. But something might change in your family. Tomorrow, you're gonna show up to work. You're so frustrated at your coworkers. You're so frustrated at your boss. And the system's not for whatever it is. I understand that. But what would it look like for you to go the extra mile at your job tomorrow and say, listen, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna treat you like a treasure because that's how God treats you. Let me ask you one more question. For those of us that call this our church, what would it look like to say to your heavenly father, I treasure my church, which I know you guys do, it's evident, but I treasure this place. 
I'm going to re-engage. I'm going to be a part. I'm deciding that I'm going to start serving somebody in the church that I love. I'm not going to show up and just take a seat and hope somebody else does the thing that I should be doing. I'm going to serve people because I want them to see God's goodness and his love and be a part of something bigger than myself. What would that look like for you? I mean, we have this amazing church that's moving in amazing directions. You don't want in 10 years from now to say, I wish I'd been on the train of what's been going on as opposed to just watching from the sidelines. And lastly, 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 hang on, I know this is challenging. What would it look like for you just to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're my treasure. Huh. This is for us that believe and are call ourselves Christians. But Jesus, I'm going to have unrestricted obedience to you. Not because I'm guilty or I'm shameful. I'm going to do it because I know you love me. And I'm going to put my focus on you, Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And I'm going to serve you with my life. What you ask, I'm going to do. And if you're not a Christian, this invitation is what has brought so many of us life along the way. And again, the motivation for this, all of this, whether it's as a parent, as a single parent, as a husband, a spouse, you know, a child of a parent, as a Christian, is not because we're worried that God's going to strike us down with a lightning bolt if we don't. It's not because we're fearful or we just feel so shameful we're just going to do it. And not because an incredibly good-looking pastor told me to do it. That is not the reason, no matter how funny I'm not, I get that. Do you know why we do this? Because 2,000 years ago, your heavenly father looked at you sitting in the seat you're in and he sacrificed his son on a cross or allowed his son to be sacrificed on a cross and said, you are my treasure. You mean the world to me. You mean my very son's life. And I am focusing on you and I am gonna serve you. Do you know that? That when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was thinking about you and the forgiveness of your sin. Do you remember when he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? He was thinking about you and he gave his greatest treasure, his own life for you. And then he rose to life and he changed the world and he invited us to be part of it with him. And in that, we can be anything but average. The question is, not just what do we know about it, what are we going to do with this today? I, I know I've given you all a lot to think about. What I'm going to do for my spouse, what I'm going to do for my kids, what I'm going to do for my church, what I'm going to do for my heavenly father. I would just encourage you that whatever God brought to your mind, and maybe you just thought, yep, I need to do that. Go home today and do it. And ask your heavenly father to help you, to give you his strength and his spirit and his power to be anything but average as you follow him. And when you don't get it right, here's the beauty of it. When you don't get it right, when it's not all perfect, you will still be Jesus' treasure. And you will still be on his mind. And he will do whatever he can to take you down the path he needs you to go because he loves you with all, all of his heart. So which one do you need to do? Who do you need to serve? Who do you need to treasure? Who do you need to focus on? And maybe it just begins with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for this challenging thing that Jesus taught. 
I pray that we would choose the more difficult road that actually has life along the way and it gives us life in the end. Help us to live for things that last forever. Thank you that we have so much and we're such rich people in the United States of America, but help us to keep our eyes on things that do not fade away in the end. And thank you for your unconditional love for us that you put your focus on us on the cross by redeeming our lives and bringing us back to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guys, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week for part three of Anything But Average. Have a great rest of your day.